I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. Now, the aspect of we shrink ourselves, and most of the time we're shrinking ourselves in environments where we are the most credible, credentialed, educated people in the room. You know, I don't want to be superwoman. I have no interest in being, oh, you're so strong. Nope, don't put that on me. Oh, you're the only one who can do that job. Oh, well, unless you're going to tell me the other responsibilities you're going to take off my plate, I'm not going to be able to put this one on my plate. I can do a lot of things myself, and I won't. So come in here and do this. (laughs) <laughs> or you handle that so well. I had no excuse, I had no option but to handle it well because we were at the last second. However, this will not happen again. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 562 with guest Dr. Raquel Martin. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad that you are here joining me for another guest. And on November 15th at 6 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going live on TikTok. I know I already told you, but I have to repeat it. And I am I mean, hey, Andrea Owen on all of my social channels, but I spend the most of my time on Instagram and TikTok, and I've never gone live on on TikTok before. So I'm excited. I, I'm, I, I think a lot of you listening at least have like dabbled in TikTok. Some of the lives over there just just never cease to amaze me. The things that people are doing live on TikTok, very different, very different than Instagram live. But I am going to be doing like a AMA, Q&A type of thing. And I'm happy to answer your questions there live, or if you can't make it live on November 15th, 6 p.m. Eastern, then either shoot me a DM on Instagram. I think TikTok is weird. I think I have to follow you back in order for me to to see a DM from you. Or you can always email us, support at andreaowen.com, and ask me your question. I would love to do a little laser coaching there on TikTok Live. And you can also go on there and like hit the little reminder button if you go to my profile on TikTok to to be notified when I go live. So I hope to see you there. 
Uh, again, November 15th, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get into today's guest. I think I found her on TikTok. Speaking of the platform, or it may have been Instagram, I, she came across my across my feed somehow or another on some platform, and I love what she stands for, the work that she does in the world, and I can't wait for you to hear more about her. Dr. Raquel Martin is an experienced, licensed clinical psychologist, devoted professor, acclaimed researcher and scientist who believes deeply in the power of Black mental wealth, an affirming lifelong journey that encourages Black people to center mental health practices as integral and internationally linked to success and well-being. So without further ado, here is Dr. Raquel. Martin. Dr. Martin, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I stumbled across your account on TikTok. You came across my FYP page and I was, you know, stayed on your video the whole time, went and watched a bunch more and then reached out to be on the show. So I appreciate the work that you put out into the world and, and saying yes to coming on. And that's actually where I would love to start. Can you tell us, how did you get into this field? Was it like, did you know from the time you were a teenager that you wanted to to get into psychology and and do what you do now, or how did how did you get here? So I actually, when I went to undergrad, I was going for like pre med bio major. Okay, uh, the courses were so boring. I was not entertained at all. I always knew I was going to do a terminal degree, like a doctor, and I was just like, man, I'm going to be in school forever, and this is just not interesting. And everyone kept saying like it'll get better, and it did not. Okay. Um, and eventually I had my uh, psychology course because I took it just to take it, to be honest. Like everyone's just like, oh, it fit into my schedule where mm-hmm. I still got to have Tuesday, Thursday classes so I can just chill Monday, Wednesday, Friday and still mm-hmm. graduate and still have fun. And it was one of the few classes that I actually enjoyed that in all of my like Black history courses. The professor talked a lot about the integration of psychology and social justice and and public policy and advocating um, regarding social change in the community um, and decreasing, you know, health disparities. And I was like, I would rather do that. Like you can do that in medicine as well, mm-hmm. uh, but I would rather do it in something that also interests me. Uh, and I just made sure I did an integration of the two. Like my my second master's and my doctorate are also in, they're in medical and clinical psychology. So I just made sure I had an integration of both without being bored out of my mind for, you mm-hmm. know, the 20,000 years I'm in school. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Pretty much. That's interesting. It almost sounds like um, it could have been a little bit of a, a divine intervention that sort of changed your path and and made you see a different way. Yeah, because I was okay with bio, physio and anatomy was okay, but then mm-hmm. we got to like chem and all those, and I was just like, that's hard, you know. And some people actually were enjoying the classes, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like I cannot, you know, yeah. do this for the next, you know, you have four years of undergrad, then you have med school, then you have residency, and then I was going to do a fellowship for a specialty, and I was just like, I just can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have a, a very slightly similar story. I have my bachelor's degree in, in exercise physiology and I considered going to medical school, but when I took stats, both stats and organic chemistry, those were uh, absolutely not. <laughs> done. Right. Done. And it's like, some people are like, um, it was difficult it. or, but like, they still enjoyed it. I was like, it was difficult and, you know, could have got the hang, but it was also boring. boring. And I was just mm-hmm. like, you know, I can't have both. Like if it's difficult, it can't at least be boring. Like for, for my degree, it was very tough, but I was engaged and passionate about it. I was like, we got to have one or the other. We cannot have both. We can't check both boxes here for me. Um, Especially since it's such a time commitment. 
and, right? and financial commitment. Like, yeah, you, and financial your, commitment as well. Scholarships. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I, I want to move into asking you what very well could be a broad question, but I want to ask it first. So, because it might kind of carry us wherever we're going to go in this conversation. But you talk about the implications of oppression on mental health. Yes. So can you tell us some of the ways this shows up and what really, like, what is the main message that you would like to share? So like the stage is yours, be verbose if you want. I know it's super broad, but can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So just the ideology and the hallmark of oppression overall is just the, it are just the facts that you believe that one group is better than another group. And because of that should have power over that group, whether it comes to their choices or their options and things of that nature. And it, it very much has to do with ethnicity and gender. I will also say that I find the the group that is significantly oppressed to be children. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Children, I would say Black people and people of the global majority, I would say women. And if you have those intersecting identities, it's even worse um, because there's so many individuals who feel as though they get to make decisions for you because the belief is that I know better than you. I'm smarter than you. I should be more powerful than you. So I mm-hmm. get to make the choices. That's it. And it impacts your mental health because, well, one, it takes away different aspects of your freedom, especially for children, right? Like the, the, the most amazing thing about childhood is just being able to fall on your behind and get back up and learn and learn who you are. So taking away choices is very difficult. And it also makes you feel like you have a sense of helplessness or hopelessness, like which is always a risk factor. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you can go forward. You don't feel like you have options within your life. And there are also many different levels of oppression because you have institutional oppression when it comes to being in certain environments, like education environments or work environments where you feel as though you have less of a voice and people are making decisions for you that aren't the best decisions. When I talk to my students about it in terms of institutional policies, sometimes I'll mention like if you're at work and there are goals that have to be met, the goal is every single person has to complete 10 units a week, right? Mm -hmm. And no one is meeting that goal. If no one is meeting the goal of 10 units a week, then the problem is not the employees. The problem is the goal, right? right? That should, that's not an appropriate that's goal. Data. How, mm-hmm. That's data, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- these are metrics. That's why I'm always like, when I go do consultations, I'm like, what are the metrics? Because if you're saying everyone is missing the goal, it's time to move the goal a little bit closer, honey. It's a little mm-hmm. too far. Like that makes no sense. That makes yeah. no sense. And the oppression comes from the aspect of, I have no choice in this matter. I have to do this, sacrifice time and energy time with my family, energy with myself, risk burnout to make this goal that no one is making, right? So you feel oppressed because you feel like you have no option overall. A lot of times when it comes to gender, if you're talking about men or women or individuals who don't identify as men or women, it can be expectations placed on you, whether it comes to going to school or not going to school, staying in the home to work inside the home or work inside and outside of the home. Um, Because I've never met a a parent who makes the choice to stay home and work from home that is not working 10 times more. I actually, every time someone's like, oh, I'm a stay at home mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, do you need a nap? It's it's so hard. It's so hard. It's Mm -hmm. oh my goodness. I've done it. And I'd rather, and I'd rather have a nine to five job. I'd (laughs) rather have a nine to five. Mm -hmm. So there's a a, a separation, right? But whether you feel like you have no option regarding that matter. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll talk about the aspect of oppression in terms of the isms like, or patriarchy, because patriarchy hurts men as well as women, right? Mm -hmm. We have this whole entire system that makes it so that you have to do everything. You cannot express your emotions. You have these expectations on women. And as a result, some women were pigeonholed like, oh, well, 
I have to pay for everything. Well, patriarchy makes it so that I have less access to jobs so that I make less money than you. So yes, the responsibility is on you. Don't like it? Dismantle the patriarchy. That's oppression, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't only impact (laughs) women. It doesn't only impact men. It impacts everyone the same way like racism impacts everyone. Yeah. When I talk about it in terms of mental health, um, mental health and physical health and everything, it having that aspect of burnout, having the way feeling like you have no options, that's that's the the stomping grounds for the development of any kind of mental health issue, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, shame, guilt, all of that. And when I talk about that, a lot of times I say, I discuss what I tell my students is like, or my patients is like the, the anger iceberg. I'm getting a little bit older because now I have to make sure, you know, I have to do a disclaimer to my students. Like, do you, do you guys know? what the Titanic was or <laughs> right. like what? do you and know what the like, problem was with the iceberg? What yeah. are we doing? And they're like, yes, it sank because of the iceberg. I said, partially tell me right. more. Mm-hmm. Why did it sink because of the iceberg? Oh, well, they couldn't see what was below the water. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You guys are rocking with me. I had a whole class that was like, I don't know what the heck this woman is talking about. <laughs> She's clearly having an issue in front of us. Like someone help. <laughs> Isn't it like an ice cube floating on the wall? Yeah. top. <laughs> <laughs> but the issue was what was below the water. Right. And when I talk about oppression and I talk about the ways that it may manifest, I talk about the anger iceberg. Because what you see will always be the anger. Anger is mm-hmm. typically a response to something. Right. But what's below the water can be shame and disgust and guilt and exhaustion. And it comes out as anger or frustration Mm -hmm. because a lot of times people don't realize that depression very much, you have to have a significant aspect of depressed mood for a certain amount of time. But for children and for what I have learned and adults as well, frustration tolerance, low frustration tolerance and irritability is a synonym for that. Mm. So you may think you're not depressed because, you know, I'm not skulking around all day. I'm like, yeah, You've been walking around with a bit of a funky attitude for months. Everyone's noticed it. Uh, Your also sleep has changed. Eating has changed. All at the time period of the transition to this new work environment. It does sound like you're depressed to me. And mental health is a fingerprint. So it very much links in with your your mental health and the way everything does. Because the environments that we're impressed in are most of the time places that we can't exit. Sometimes we can't leave our job. Even if we yeah. make an extra strategy, eventually there can be a countdown until you can leave. Mm-hmm. If you are living within a, a home and you can't afford to move somewhere else, which is happening a lot because things yeah. are really, really expensive, you have to deal with that oppressive environment. If you are... <laughs> I told my husband on maternity leave because it went way longer than it was supposed to. I was like, I feel like I am being oppressed in this home. I need to go to work. I cannot stay here. But there's no option, right? Like Uh just the whole aspect of other people making decisions for you, losing that autonomy, feeling like you have no choice. That is a significant, I I always say that is the, the stomping grounds, the breeding ground for just mental health difficulties overall. Wow. Thank you so much. There was so many things I want to grab onto and run with. But the first thing that you mentioned is that this is something I've never thought about in the conversation around oppression is that you said that children are often at the crux of that. And so can you say more of like what that actually looks like? Yes. I feel like as parents, as as someone who I have, I have two sons, I have two toddlers um, that run my life. And I often tell them that I, you know, I, I, you know, I would love to clock out boss. Like, please, Uh I really just need to nap. Also, as someone who specialized in in family and traumatic stress and family therapy, um, completing my last couple of years at Hopkins, when you look at the way that children are treated, it's from an aspect of control. And a lot of times people think that they are helping their children through teaching them, but really, they're really just wanting them to be obedient. Like when Mm -hmm. I start with family therapy, 
a lot of times I'll ask like, what's the issue? And a lot of times it'll be lack of listening or um, disrespect. And I'm like, okay, so how do you define respect? Right. Mm. Because a lot of times they will say, I want them to do what I say. And that's obedience. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, so now I know where we're starting off from. Right. Cause respect is like an admiration for someone due to their mm-hmm. abilities or their qualities or your relationship with them, you know, regard for their feelings. Obedience is what you're asking for. And I said, and, and typically I'm like, and that's why we're going to get to also the way that we rear your children, because you believe that you're disciplining, but what you're actually doing is punishing, right? And if mm-hmm. we think about the difference, I always say when it comes to discipline, think of disciples, right? Like they were disciples because they wanted to learn um, from Jesus and, and learn the, his works and everything like that. Yeah, and However, they were followers, pun- basically. They were like, followers, yeah. right? And you're you're leading from this person, this omnipotent being who who is leading by example and, and, and is teaching you things. But punishment is the aspect of like penalty, is, is, is sent as like, you know, punitive by definition, uh, retribution for an offense that you committed. That's not what you want when you're having this relationship with your children. It needs to be the aspect of, I often state, your children should be, you know, talking back to you. How are they going to learn critical mm-hmm. thinking if they can't question their most salient relationship? Right. So the aspect of, I don't want to hear your voice, it's because I said so. The fact that you believe that, you know, you don't have an option and I'm just going to say what I need to say and you're going to do what I need to do. That's oppression. That would be oppression in any Mm -hmm. environment, right? Having a conversation. Now, there are times when conversations are, you know, not going to happen until later. My son acted like he wanted to be go-go gadget runner or whatever in the parking lot. (laughs) And I, you know, and I was just like, hold my hand, walk. And then when we got into the store, I'm like, listen, because, you know, it's not, this is not the time, honey. Listen, you know, we can't be, Mm -hmm. you know, safety. Safety is always going to be the thing where I'm like, yeah, it's the hallmark of safety. However, is it safety to be like, well... Why can't I go to this event? What's the issue? What's the concern? Why can't I wear this outfit? What's the issue? What's the concern? Are we coming at it from a different level? Are you just stating that it's my way or the highway? Do you actually have an issue with it because of what it means to your child's values? Or does it just go against your values? Because those aren't always going to align. Right. That's oppression. Right? And I find that children are oppressed more than anything overall. <laughs> like it's, it's very different. And a lot of times it's because many times as parents, um, I'm a, you know, parenting is the scariest, toughest thing I've ever done in my life. And sometimes we parent out of fear during different situations. We can parent out of fear during due to like gender related fear. And that comes a lot of times with children and girls a lot with clothing and who's around and Mm -hmm. how late are you out? It can be during due to like racism related stress and fear. Who is going to be at that event? Are there many people that look like you? Are you going to be judged unfairly? Can you do you have to wear your hair a certain way? Mm -hmm. It can be due to geographics and location. I live in Tennessee. We're dealing with a significant aspect of like pain and difficulties Mm -hmm. and um, legislation. It can be due to the fact that like there are certain things that are being banned here that don't generate the aspect of like freedom. Like there are very many. So like parents can, we see all that. We're staying up on everything and it may cause us to come up with rules and, and guidelines based off of our aspect of fear. And then we never explain that to, to our children. Mm-hmm. And we also take the option away from them. And that's the, that's another thing with oppression. It takes away the option because I know what's best. It's not about yes. like, well, it's not that I don't trust your outfits or trust your clothing. I don't trust the people that's around you. Well, that's actually mm-hmm. a bigger conversation we got to have, mom. Mm-hmm. You know, like if mm-hmm. you don't want me to wear this this outfit around um, the family, is the issue not the family? <laughs> like, yeah. Are we... Can we, maybe we should be going to this mom. Let's have a conversation with this, right? If you have a concern about 
the way I may be looked at, is that something that, you know, I may have to deal with the repercussions of that mom. I just want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like uh, I understand, well, people may look at you a certain way and I'm okay with that. I still want to wear my hair this way. I want to wear this outfit. This is, this is something that I don't think you should be like making the choice for me for. Right. Right. And but just taking away the option needs to be a conversation. Okay. I, we need to take a break, but I want to, I'm going to comment on this when we come back. Try to find the perfect gift for someone special in your life, maybe for Mother's Day, but feeling overwhelmed. Finding a unique gift that they'll love that's personal and that they won't already have can be the ultimate challenge. That's why I'm so excited I've discovered Songfinch. It's an amazing, thoughtful gift, and it's easy and fun to make. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and lasts forever. I had Songfinch make me a song about my dad, which was a gift to myself. This was such a personal song for me, and I was a little skeptical the artist could capture the emotion I wanted. But during the process, they have you share some personal details about your relationship with the person you're creating the song for. Then Songfinch, musician of your choice, you get to pick based on samples they have, will write, record, and produce your original song in just four to seven days. I love my song so much. I was so emotional when I listened to it. I had no changes. It's perfect. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Go to songfinch.com slash noise and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash noise. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash noise. There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again, and I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Okay, that is so interesting. And and I had no idea how you were going to answer that question around, you know, the the children being the the most oppressed group. And it's for even people listening to this that don't have children, you deal with them in your life, you know, whether it's nieces and nephews. You know, I'm thinking of some clients right now who are child-free and they work with children. And I, I think for for especially my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, like we were raised to understand that. You listen to adults and they tell you what to do simply because they are adults. 
You know, like they are smarter than us. They are wiser than us because they are adults. And like, that was kind of the end of the conversation. But now that I have children and mine are teenagers now, they're 13 and 15. So I have some experience. It's been humbling for me to understand, to see and understand how much wiser they are than I give them credit for just intuitively for themselves and how much just ready they are for conversations that sometimes I might not be ready to have with them. That's my stuff. And I think that's a big deciding factor, right? It's, it's I was just going to say, it's yeah. our stuff. And a lot of times it was our parents' stuff, oh, yeah. right? Like having conversations about stuff that makes them uncomfortable because they don't feel as though it should be, you know, question or come out of a child's mouth. And they can be pretty like deep, intense questions. And it could also be because of stuff that you never thought about. I, I had a, a patient who was going through this whole process with her hair um, due to like you know, racism in her child with their hair. And the child mentioned that she liked to wear hair a certain way. And the mom said that it wasn't like, a, it, that's not a kempt, you know, that looks unkempt. And, and she said, you know what? Um, it was very hard for me to answer my child's questions because during this process, I realized that I don't love my mm. hair. And I don't know how to teach my child to love their hair if I don't yeah. love my hair. It's kind of like the way body, body issues come up mm-hmm. too. Like, how can I teach you to love your own body image when I haven't addressed that there are things that yes. I have not enjoyed and endeared about myself, right? Um, and that's why parenting, I always say, brings up more about me than it will about my children. That's why I, I accept that. But it's also the fact that someone who's in mental health and psychology and, and significant training, I always think it's a it's a very dangerous place. And I will always say this. It's a dangerous place to have it where children do not question people just because of their mm-hmm. role and their stature in your life or the fact that they're adults. Because most of the time, children generalize. So that means that they're going to do what they're told to do without question, even if it doesn't make them feel safe, even if it makes them feel uncomfortable in their body, because you're an adult and I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to question you. Yeah. That's dangerous. It is. And it's definitely, I think Generation Z, and I'm very much generalizing here, they are a they are a different, <laughs> they're a different breed than than Gen X and even millennials. You know, you know what topic really kicked this up for me is when my kids got to be around age 10, 11, and I'm realizing that they will not know a life other than really my oldest was born the year that the smartphone came out. So that not only will they not know a life without the internet, they will not know a life without the smartphone. So this brings up a lot of things around sex and dating and things that they're going to be introduced to much younger than I was. So I realized I wanted to raise my children in a much more sex positive household than I was ever raised. So I knew this wasn't just about, it wasn't just about me. Like my jumping off point wasn't, okay, I need to learn how to have conversations with them about this. That came second. Like what came first is me looking at my own shame around sex and all of that, (laughs) that I was fully participating in as a child, but never got never got to have the vulnerable and difficult conversation with my parents that I wish that I would have had. And I, I've changed that and it has been so challenging, but also so freeing for myself. Yes. My colleague, Dr. Han Ren, we do an anti-racist and anti-oppressive um, framework course. And she was mentioning the fact that her they went to Vegas and there were her family and there were all these signs about, you know, Vegas, like bunny ranches and stuff like that. And her daughter was asking all oh these my questions. Gosh. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't solely about like what it is. It was it was deep questions like, well, do these women want to be in these careers? Why are they, why did they choose that? And she's just like, well, let's get into it. Because that's a very that's a very complicated, mm-hmm. you know, question. That's a very integrated like. But it, it wasn't even just like, what is it? They were like, OK. So they already knew what it was, maybe. Yeah. Was this their choice? What does that mean for the world? Can anyone choose that? What does that mean for, and you know, it's just like, 
These are very yeah. in-depth questions that should be addressed, yeah. right? Because a lot of times it can it can be that our biases are getting yep. in the way of discussing these things. And it could also be that it's just weird to have your little mm-hmm. baby whose voice is still high pitched ask you about like, what <laughs> do, do people want to be? Is this their yeah. choice regarding mm-hmm. sex work? And also discussing like, hmm, I don't know. Some, you know, d- sex workers are still workers. There are many aspects of legislation. There are many things that <laughs> it, it depends on the person and the choice. And then their question is, okay, so give me the options of what it depends. And it's like, hey. Let's get a mm-hmm. burger, okay? <laughs> Let's um are you hungry? Nope. I'm not hungry for anything but yeah. information. It's like, oh god. Like, you know, so it's also it, it brings a lot of that out and I I find that critical thinking. So I also, you know, as a psychologist also responsible for do, doing assessments. And there's there's different forms of reasonings in education. There's concrete, which is really learning facts and you know you know your times tables and you know when columbus lived the ocean blue and stuff like that and then there's the fluid form of intelligence which is more so the reasoning regarding you're bringing in every single aspect of information that you have and then you're applying it to problem mm-hmm. solving and that is what children really need anyone can memorize mm-hmm. facts it takes a lot to take in information and challenge your 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 mindset that you were brought up with to see if it's still appropriate, to see if there are other options for this. It takes so much more to do that. And it starts with questions. It starts with normalizing questions and having those tough conversations and even getting comfortable with stating, I don't know the answer, but let's mm-hmm. find out. Or this is the answer now, but it may change, right? Like that's that's where true intellect is for me. And a lot of times people, parents, individuals have issues with like mistakes or they don't want to be wrong. And I always say like, you don't hold your value in being right. You hold your value in, you can have a value of like the pursuit of education and um, respecting people and respecting their humanity Mm -hmm. because I would trust someone who admits to being right. Mm -hmm. I mean, who admits to being wrong way before I trust someone who says they're right (laughs) all the time. I'm like, I would be like, are you, mm, are you? That seems suspect. That's like that person who's like every person I ever broke up with, she went crazy. Oh yeah. No, that's a red flag. The common, the common denominator is you though. Yeah. Maybe, you know what? Thanks for the drink. This has Uh been fun. (laughs) I think, (laughs) you know, I think that's, that's it for me. But uh, I think uh, when I talk to parents, one of the times, one of the things I talk about with problem solving and salience is really something as simple as apologizing to your children. Mm-hmm. I do that to normalize the fact that like I make mistakes too. adults make mistakes too. Um, it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, it's okay to have an apology to state what I am apologizing for to state how I'm going to change this behavior in the future. Because so many times when it comes to perfectionism or anxiety, it's a fear. It's a fear yeah. of doing something wrong or making mistakes or not making that meeting that guideline. And imagine if we had so many children that were like, oh yeah, I'm going to try this no matter what. It's not only about getting an A. It's not only about doing stuff that I'm great at. It's about doing stuff that I enjoy. Yeah. I may suck at it, but I still do it. I'm terrible at bowling. Terrible. <laughs> it's it's not as easy as it looks. I was on the bowling team in seventh grade, okay? We were the slick chicks. My, that's not- such a cute, cute name. My, <laughs> my bowling ball and the gutter are going to be best friends anytime I play the game. But I, I enjoy playing it. Right. Yeah. Like I enjoy the vibe. Imagine if I just didn't do something just because I couldn't like uh, monetize it or yeah. I couldn't be perfect at it. And there's there, you're not going to be perfect at everything. So you apologize, you normalize mistakes and you you praise effort because it's like, well, you know, you're not going to be great at everything. My mom, yeah. she never really got mad at certain grades. She got mad if she not. No, she never got mad. She was like, was well, this your best effort? And it's like, sometimes it was. Yeah. Well, if the bees are best effort, then that's your best effort. That's yeah. what it is. And sometimes I would be it. like, 
no, mm-hmm. I stayed up all night. She's like, well, sound like a personal problem. I'll, she's always yeah. say, I've already graduated. Okay. <laughs> I have already graduated. All right. We do need scholarships for college. This is kind of getting in the way of that. So unless you want to live at home with your strict mother and your strict father, I would probably do better, honey. You might not <laughs> you know, want to like, on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to rethink that. Maybe you want to rethink it, right? But exactly. the onus is on me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the big aspect is apologizing. Because imagine if we had so many, a whole generation of children that weren't afraid of mistakes because of, of yes. the fear of being like, well, what happens if I do this wrong? Well, you do it wrong. Well, you know, it might be an issue. It may be an issue and I'll address that when it comes to it because I feel like I have the ability to do that. I'm not mm-hmm. going to sacrifice my mental health for an inappropriate standard. Yeah. I mean, that's a good lesson for children and adults, 100%. I, I would love to switch gears and ask you about, you had a few social media posts where you you talk about words that matter yes. um, in conversation. So can you tell us, like, what are some of the phrases that you hear casually in everyday conversation that you would like people to stop using, or at least at the very least, rethink them? Uh, a lot of them with uh, mental health stuff. Yeah. Um, I was actually just discussing this the other day, we were going over diagnostic criteria for obsessive compulsive compulsive mm-hmm. disorder. And a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, I am, you know, I'm trying to straighten up. So I have OCD or mm-hmm. I am just trying to be really organized. So I have OCD and it's incredibly dismissive because OCD is, is a really significant mental yeah. health disorder and it's difficult just like any mental health disorder, when it comes to like having obsessions that lead to repetitive behaviors, like obsessions are the excessive thoughts and behaviors are the compulsions. Um, And you don't have to have both. Actually, a lot of people don't realize that you can have obsessions or compulsions. Mm -hmm. However, it's very difficult for individuals with that to not be able to do this repetitive motion to the point where they miss work or um, they can't leave the house or they, you know, have to do something friendships struggle or can't go on dates and yeah Yeah, it's a lot so when people say stuff like that like oh i have ocd bipolar is another bipolar i was just about to say Mm -hmm. oh that person is bipolar um it's just really it's rude and it's dismissive um it, it it uh and I think it invalidates individuals' experiences. And I take it very seriously because I work with these people who are just yeah. like, oh, you know, they're saying that I was moody and that I was bipolar. And it's just like, well, there are so many significant aspects to, um, you know, bipolar disorder that doesn't just have a hallmark of being moody. It also negates the experience of individuals who are actively um, doing the work daily, weekly, monthly to ensure that they're able to function in a society that doesn't often support them. Because I feel the same way about individuals who, you know, I don't, I really don't like the term neurodivergent personally or, you know, atypical I, mm-hmm. because it really makes it seem as though you have normal and then you have everyone right. else. A variation. Um, and the issue, mm-hmm. yeah, the variation. And the issue isn't the fact that people think and learn differently. The issue is that we don't have the resources for people who think and learn differently. Right. Because have you ever had anyone be told that they were atypical for wearing glasses? <laughs> you see differently. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, you know, but it's normalized, right? Like every time someone says that, I'm like, "Huh? Do you wear glasses? Uh-huh. You get LASIK? Do you actually see like a like a unicorn?" Because I only know one person who can. Or people with red hair. You yeah. Know. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's okay because it's normalized. And it, it, so many times, I, I think when we use those terms, it's just it's just inappropriate. Um, I also hate the term colorblind because it puts the wrong emphasis on things. It's like, yeah. well, to be colorblind, it makes it seem like there's an issue. Um, 
Mm-hmm. One, uh, color isn't the issue majority of the time. Um, racism is the issue, mm-hmm. not even race, mm-hmm. racism. And two, if you don't see someone's color, if you don't see their heritage, you're negating a significant aspect of them. It yes. makes it seem like there's an issue. Like, yeah. oh, I don't, I, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I, I didn't notice your color. Oh, what's wrong with my color? What's wrong with my culture? It's a significant aspect of me to negate mm-hmm. my culture and to neg- negate my heritage or, you know, quote unquote, my, my color is to d- make a decision not to connect with me. Yeah. Um, Do you have a suggestion for that people can use if they if they have a coworker or some or something like let's use the example around somebody saying like oh my mother in law is coming over and she's she can tend to be a little bit bipolar so it's just hard when she visits for the weekend. Do you have a, a suggestion of what someone can say that points it out in the moment but doesn't cause like that isn't shaming or that doesn't cause a riff? You can just say they're moody. And people are just moody and, and bipolar disorder is so much more than mood. You know, my, my, you know, my mother-in-law, unless she's in the room and honestly, if she's in the room, yeah, she knows, she's she knows room. she's moody, <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. Um, it's, it, it, you know, my mother-in-law, sometimes she can be kind of moody or she has difficult with transitions and she's coming from out of town. So she may be short during conversation. Don't take it personally or you know, you can just not have the disclaimer and you can just say, allow them to engage with the person and make their own concept, pre-con- you know, notions about it. Because sometimes we put out these traits and it really could just be the person interacts with you that way. They're interacting with your personality that way. So you may not even need to do a disclaimer if they ask you about it later. Be like, oh, yeah, sometimes she can be moody. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just what it is. It shouldn't be what it is because people should really put forth their best for- foot forward. Um, but yeah. I know that people listening to this are trying to have more hard conversations and kind of call out, you know, racist remarks or sexist remarks and things like that. And what I always tell them, I'm like, throw this podcast under the bus. If you want to just say like, Hey, I was listening to this podcast and there was a guest on talking about words that we use and how it can be kind of dismissive sometimes to, for people who really do have bipolar disorder to use it, like to talk about somebody's mood. So I don't know, just something I was thinking about, you know, just say it like that. You can just say it like that. You can also say, like, if people are stating, um, like, racist remarks, like, what makes you think that that is appropriate statement? Where did Mm -hmm. you come up with that preconceived notion? What made that come into your mind? You can also advocate in the realm, like, I think that is an inappropriate statement. Here's why. I think that is a racist remark. And here's why. I think that your stereotype is a broad generalization of individuals. It's just like a women act this way, men act this way, Mm -hmm. black people act this way. Oh, that's funny. When people say that, I'm like, that's funny. I've actually never met every single man in the world. How did you have the time to do that and still make dinner? (laughs) That's a lot. Sometimes it's okay. like what? It's like you can't make these broad generalizations. And that's what stereotypes are. They're broad generalizations that yes. are negatively biased, right? Like where did that come from? Why do you think that's appropriate? It's like the difference between, I think a lot of people are talking about the difference between calling out versus calling in, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they both very much have their role in encounters. Calling in takes more time and energy. Um, you typically take someone to the side or have a conversation with them one-on-one and try to really get to the the brunt of what's going on mm-hmm. with them, why they yeah. think that's appropriate, spend time. Calling out is just like, honestly, drawing a line in the sand. We do not engage in racist, sexist, ableist language mm-hmm. in this space. So I do need you to understand that that's inappropriate and we cannot have that happen again. That's also good because it helps individuals know what's happening in public. Um, It also lets people feel safe in that environment. And they also let people hold you accountable to when you state that I we're not uh, allowing this and then you engage in that behavior. Because a lot of times I, I find people will be like, I will mention something. 
because most of the time, honestly, the more degrees I get, the 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 more, the more connections I got, the less people look like me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would have those meetings where I would be like, hey, that's inappropriate. That's racist. That's sexist. <laughs> um, uh, that's a really patriarchal mm-hmm. statement. Hey, that disproportionately impacts the LGBTQ community and their allies. So then as a result, that's inappropriate as well. And people would agree with me after the meeting. Mm. And that's that's ridiculous because if you mm-hmm. have a fear of advocating for people in that environment and work in school, that's actually the hallmark of an oppressive environment. Fear. Yeah. Because someone yeah. has power over you and you feel like they may take that out on you. So if you have a difficulty speaking up, if you have concerns about speaking up in your environment, ask yourself why. And if it's because of people around you, if it's because of the hierarchy, you're likely in an oppressive environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think those exist still a lot in corporate America and beyond. Definitely. Uh, well, let's take one more break. And when we get back, I want to ask you about a particular hashtag that I see you use a lot on social media. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. All right, you say the phrase, no capes, and I think the hashtag is drop the cape. Is that correct? It's burn it. I don't want you to drop it because you may pick it back up. I want you to burn it. I want you to like stomp the embers to the ground. I want you to salt the earth. You will never get any aspect of that cape ever again. I want it gone. Don't put those ashes in an urn. No, nothing. Burn it. Salt the ground. Drop. Put some flowers over it. Get some, get some, you know. And I think you might've been alluding to this a little bit earlier on in the podcast about what, what the cape actually is, but can you, for the listeners, can you talk about what that is, this is and why you want people to burn it? So, so many times I feel like disproportionately, one of my colleagues, Dr. Amber Thorne, she talks about default parenting a lot. Um, and a lot of times the default parent is the woman um, who is often seen as like, you know, your husband or your partner sitting right there next to you and your child walks up mm-hmm. to you and says, I'm hungry. And it's like, yep. oh, I'm sorry. Is this yeah. man sitting next to me invisible? Oh, no, my children will be in the room with their father and go seek me out yes. to do something for them that their dad could do. And my and my husband will actually state like, hey, I can do this. I'm right here. My son, the oldest one, will say, that's okay. 
mama will do it. It's absurd. Like (laughs) my husband, he'll just look up and he's just like, I'm right here. Why didn't you ask me? No, mama Mm -hmm. will do it. I want her to do it. It's the whole thing. So with that, there's also a significant amount of expectations on women and and relationships. And it's a historical thing. It's kind of, it contributes to the whole aspect of patriarchy. So this isn't just for mothers. No. Well, I, I see moms wearing the cape significantly more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also see women wearing the cape in corporate environments. I, it's for women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I see it too in women who are in heterosexual relationships where they are child free with their male partners. Yes. And I think that that can also be, it can be a bunch of things. It can be, um, the aspect of there's so many expectations placed on women that we take them within different aspects of our life, no matter what realm we're in. I had it in academia. I had it before I was a mother. I had it before I was a partner. Mm -hmm. I had it as a mother, as a partner. It could be me taking leadership roles at work when um, I really don't have the time or energy to do that, but it's expected of me. It could be me deciding to make a dinner when um, I don't feel like it and no one else is going to make dinner. And I feel like it's my responsibility to provide this. Um, And a lot of times it's unspeakable spoken. It, it, it may be in your situation, someone is saying, well, if you don't cook, we're not going to eat. But it could also be just the aspect of historical context where this is where we see ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. It's propaganda, right? Like it's, it's historical aspects of when women went to school. People always ask, why are there so many women teachers? Well, it used to be the only school we were allowed to go to. We could only train to be teachers. And mm-hmm. then if you ended up being married, you had to quit your job. There's a whole generation of people who had to get married on weekends and not tell anyone, or they would have to have left their job. Oh my gosh. Why is there dependency of women on uh, men at times when it comes to income? Well, one, we make less than you doing the same exact job. And two, there used to be a time where we couldn't get and we couldn't get a credit card without you. We couldn't get, you know, a mortgage without you. And if it wasn't, if your dad wasn't able to sign off on it, it had to be the oldest male in the home. Like imagine Mm -hmm. asking your older brother to do things. It's like, this is a historical (sighs) thing. If we don't see many people in these realms, it wasn't by choice. It was just the option. So so we're used to having more experience with one realm, like cooking and cleaning and stuff like that than other people. It's also patriarchal because with the cape, because it's also like we got the energy and fixation on that. And then you have a generation of men who don't know how to do these things. And it's not because for lack of not wanting to know, it was never taught to them because they're like, oh, just get a wife and it'll be fine. It's just that they actually yeah. want to yeah. do that. So we take on these extra roles. Um, we wear the superwoman cape and the superwoman is a fallacy. It's a significant fallacy. And most of the time when I talk about it a lot with like Black superwoman syndrome as well, specifically, it's because a lot of times to counteract the stereotypes against Black women when Mm -hmm. it came to being lazy and unintellectual and also just on social programs, we take it above and beyond to counteract that. So we go the exact opposite route. We wear clothes that aren't comfortable for us because that's the status quo or professionalism. We wear our hair in a way that we don't, is genuine to us. We speak in a tone that's not appropriate. There's also the disproportionate aspect of men in our lives being incarcerated or mm-hmm. having poor health issues. So we did, in fact, have to be on our own. So we yeah. did have to take on so many roles because we did have less support. In addition to the fact that although our bills are the same, we make less <laughs> than other mm-hmm. people. So we had to do more. So it's historically like an issue. And it makes it so that now we feel as though rest has to be earned, that we don't feel comfortable asking for support. 
that we feel as though we have the world on our shoulders. Because as a Black woman, when I walk into the room as like the psychologist in the room, a lot of times there's this whole aspect of, I don't represent Raquel or Dr. Raquel Martin. I represent every single Black woman who may walk into this room. And if I do something wrong, yeah, then everyone's going to be judged, right? And that's Mm -hmm. a significant fear. So taking off the cape and burning it means I'm going to ask for help when I need it. I'm going to realize that I don't need to earn rest. Um, I'm going to understand that self-care and self-preservation and self-love are not selfish. Mm -hmm. And that can be, if I want to cook, fine. We're going to defrost these vegetables. I'll cook, you know, I'll I'll cook the ground turkey, but everything else is going to get microwaved in a steam bag. Yep. It's still going to fill your belly. It's Mm -hmm. still going to fill your belly. It's my job to decide, you know, your job as a child or as a person is to decide how much you want to eat. My job is to provide it. If all you want was strawberries dipped in ketchup, whatever. Okay. (laughs) I'm, you know, I am not, you got a whole meal in front of you. You decide to be like, "Mm, no, no, I don't want this. You know, Mm -hmm. the only thing in my belly that I have room for is strawberries and ketchup and Oreos. And it's like, well, listen, I'm going to eat. I'm going to have my nice meal that I just spent hours preparing and not stress out about that. Um, And then also just not taking on the stereotypes and not apologizing for a lot of things, apologizing for yourself. Because I find as women, we apologize for things that aren't even appropriate. It's like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Um, Can you repeat that? No, I was unable (laughs) to hear you. Can you repeat Mm -hmm. that? Oh, it appears that there's a disconnect. I stated this and you heard this and followed up with that, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the aspect of we shrink ourselves. And most of the time we're shrinking ourselves in environments where we are the most credible, credentialed, educated people in the room. Yep. You know, I don't want to be superwoman. I have no interest in being, oh, you're so strong. Nope. Don't put that on me. Oh, you're the only one who can do that job. Oh, well, unless you're going to tell me the other oh, responsibilities yeah. you're going to take off my plate, I'm not going to be able to put this one on my plate. Right. Um, and you're so strong trope. Yeah. yeah I, 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 strong. I, I don't want to be, I yeah. want to be helped. I want to be supported. <laughs> And a lot of times it's an, it's a, it's a justification for not providing you with that help or that support. You can do it yourself. I can do a lot of things myself and I won't. So come in here and do this Mm -hmm. (laughs) or Mm -hmm. you handle that so well. I had no, I had no option, but to handle it well, because we were at the last second. However, this will not happen again. I see that happen a lot to my clients that are in corporate America. They get praised for being the one that always kind of comes to the rescue or can take on extra projects or is the go-to person for X, Y, and Z. And, you know, they win employee of the month and things like that. And for a while, that feels good and validating until they're in, you know, full burnout. Most of the time, what I do is, my friends say this all the time, my first response is typically no. So then if I am able to do it, um, it's a pleasant surprise or we're able to figure it out. But uh, I typically have to take a breath before I respond to different things. And sometimes we feel rushed to sign up for that committee and stuff like that. And anytime someone rushes me, I typically say, well, if you want the answer now, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. If you would like to rush me into a decision that I'm not able to state whether or not like I'm able to do it, then the answer is no. Yeah, I default to no. Or I'll reframe what they're saying, right? Like, okay, so what I'm saying is you want me to make this decision without all the information. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, um, yes. <laughs> most people, most people don't like being, you know, being told like, oh, what you're saying is this, but what I'm hearing is this, right? Yeah. So if you want me yeah. to answer this without having all the knowledge, make an uneducated, you know, response. And the answer is no, right? Uh If you want me to take the time, 
then I will be able to do that. And you don't, especially in the work environment, because when I like have conversations with people, I'm like, what job do you know where they want you to work from an area of lack of expertise? They want you to do something without thinking about it. They Mm -hmm. want you to put out a poor quality, right? Like, it's like, well, we need this done by this day. I don't feel as though I can provide you with the level of quality this project needs within this amount of time. Yeah. Um, the only thing to be able to do that would be I need to take on additional support. There are other tasks that are also within my responsibility. I need someone else to take handle them so I can give this the attention it deserves. Or we need to be okay with inadequate quality, right? Mm-hmm. This can be superior, but with the time and the support that I have and my other tasks, I'm only going to be able to provide you with adequate. Is that okay? No. All right. So is there someone else you can help assign to help me with this? Is there a greater amount of time that we can do deadline wise? And or are there certain tasks that you can take off my plate that can be pushed back so I can prioritize this? The world is lucky to have you. And I just I love (laughs) how with how much confidence you and, and to be honest with you, I have learned more about boundaries in in terms of emulation and like watching and being modeled boundaries from from Black women, more specifically, Black women in academia and leadership positions who are in corporate America. It, it, y'all don't play. And I appreciate you so much for it. One more question. And we don't have a whole lot yeah. of time. And I know that this is like what your TED Talk is on. And so mm-hmm. I, I hate to have it be your the last question where you, I can't give you ample time. But you talk <laughs> about what you call culturally incompetent care. Yes. And can you just tell the listeners what that is? And especially if they're helping professionals, what do you what do you specifically want them to know about that topic? Um, I would state that uh, most of the time we're thinking about culturally competent care as a end goal, and it's not. Uh, when the, okay. the the phrase was coined by the psychologist Dr. Daryl Wingsu, he also mentioned that it's not possible to be fully competent on a group of people within a certain amount, like within your lifetime. And it's not also, it's also not just about webinars. It's it's about like actual experience. Biases and stereotypes are built off of propaganda and poor experience, whether it's your experience or a family member's or a friend's. So they can only be combated with that, right? They're very mm-hmm. much learned behaviors. So you can learn better behaviors. The goal is not only to have like webinars that cover like 50 different topics. The goal is to hone in on specific concerns and then figure out tangible metrics to see if these issues change say we're talking about boundaries and Mm -hmm. a lot of people mix it up as like boundaries boundaries guide your behavior rules guide someone else's boundaries would be like i'm not going to engage in a conversation when you yell a rule would be like don't yell at me because the boundary is you can keep yelling i'm just not i'm not going to stand here while you yell at me right Mm -hmm. um so a lot of times when you see those articles about how someone violated your boundaries it should really be some engagement that you had caused you to violate your own boundaries because they're yours No one can violate your own boundaries. They gouge your own behavior. So when we're talking about different conversations, it can be something as simple as with cultural competence, asking people their preferred language. It can be something as simple as when we're having these webinars, these talks, normalizing the space of having a conversation, normalizing that you're going to get it wrong. And that means that you're trying. And Mm -hmm. also just discussing the aspect of There are plenty of things that we benefit from. Everyone has privilege, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you are a monster who was born with the golden spoon in their mouth with the privilege. It means that it makes certain things easier for you than others, right? Mm -hmm. And you can be in an ethnicity where you are used to being centered in the narrative. And that was the way you were brought up. That is, that's understandable. It also needs to be discussed that that disproportionately impacted other people. And that part is wrong. Mm -hmm. You cannot, Mm -hmm. you know, you cannot change your 
the way you were brought up. You cannot change that you're the way you're reared. The only thing you can change is the way that you go forward. And a lot of times I see people in cultural competence conversations have a knee-jerk reaction to say, like, we think that you're spoiled or you people have, you, you know, it's never even a you people, but certain individuals have things easier. That's true. And that doesn't mean that you had any control over that. Right. The same way I didn't have any control over the, the, the ethnicity that I was born and the gender, you know, that I was born actually the sex that I was born into, you didn't have that choice either. What we're saying with these trainings is acknowledge the fact that you have a certain level of privilege and let's see if you can advocate for other people, Mm -hmm. right? It's not only about virtue signaling where you're stating that you support someone and you align with someone and then not, you know, actually following up. It's about seeing and challenging your thought process and see the way that it can impact other people. I have a significant amount of privilege. I am significantly educated. I go to sleep in my home every single day. My my family is with me. That's a significant aspect of privilege. I'm also a Black woman who often gets called Raquel before doctor, even when I introduce myself as doctor, who significantly Mm. question, who, you know, I'm going on maybe a couple of months where someone hasn't attempted to touch my hair, but I'm just waiting for that counter to restart. You know, that's still very stressful. And Mm. I can acknowledge the fact that there are things that I know within my realm and also acknowledge the thing, the fact that there are things that I need to change and address. And that doesn't, I don't hold my value in being right all the time. And I think that's what we get wrong with cultural competence. It's the knee-jerk reaction of biggest fears being called racist, someone assuming that you had it easier than you did, not being able to, you just want to know all the information. And none of those things are going to, you know, happen, right? There are things that I engage in that are the, the, the thought processes that knock, that automatically come in my head that are sexist. I'm a mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. you know, but we're Same. the result of our experiences. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have to challenge that. A lot of times people will talk about biases and they think biases go directly to inappropriate encounters. And that's not the mm-hmm. case. You have biases. And then in the middle, you have education and experiences and that impacts your behaviors. So the only way to combat that is to have more experience with others. And it's not only about webinars. I really encourage people to engage with individuals in the way that they see fit from podcasts to li- listening to fiction versus nonfiction things to just in- engaging and digesting content that doesn't center you in the narrative and mm-hmm. see what it challenges within you. And don't expect everyone to educate you unless they are literally there to educate you their job yeah Mm. because we very much live in the information age and it can be very stressful for individuals to be discussing something and then you center yourself in your pain it doesn't make your pain any less real that's very valid it's Mm -hmm. very understandable it's difficult to challenge these preconceived notions that were put in you your entire life and now may not be the time i also suggest people get additional help on their own to process that there's nothing wrong with that the only thing you're going to do is is learn over time But a lot of times with cultural competence, people have fear of being perceived incorrectly. And that's going to happen. I get perceived incorrectly. You know, it it happens all the time. But the only thing you can have is the humility to address it and discuss it and and go Mm -hmm. forward from there. If you have a concern, if you have a fear about being wrong, that means you care. Mm Mm-hmm. That means you okay, care. Yeah. And we appreciate that. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. know, just don't, don't, have, don't stay there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't stay there. Educate yourself. I didn't know. Okay. Well, now you do educate yourself and go forth and prosper. And that's where we go from there. Okay. Thank you so much. And You're I, welcome. the TED talk will be in the show description. And I know your website is RaquelMartinPhD.com. But where it do is. you want people to go to learn more about you? Do you, do you, you have resources on your site? Is that where you want to send people or is it somewhere else? Well, I follow um, you on TikTok. Yeah, you can follow me on TikTok. Um, YouTube is where I'm putting my longer form mental health content. Um, I'm about to do a series on toxic shame because uh, we were talking a lot Ooh. about it with parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Instagram and TikTok are more so like my day-to-day life stuff, long form content, because anytime I post a video, they're like, we need more. And I'm like, you guys only, I look at the metrics. You look at one minute and 30 seconds. I saw that you were and saying after- like, why isn't anybody following me on YouTube? You guys told me to do it and I did it. Nobody's no one's there. there. I'm like, guys, what happened? I thought we were cool. <laughs> we were friends. So the, yeah. the longer form content I do on YouTube, because people are right. I can't do the information in one minute and 30 seconds and people will comment. Well, technically there's nuance. There's always yeah. nuance. People and are great. And you gray. talk fast, like, but it's a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> and I talk fast, but I say that too. I'm like, buckle up. I'm working on it. It's tough. It's so tough. Well, like academia will do that to you. you know? It's so hard because yeah. we have, you know, and you know, you have 50 minutes and then you have 10 minutes for questions. That's all you got. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is my dissertation. I did words in yeah my whole life. So yeah, YouTube is if you want to get more content regarding specific topics. A lot of times people will comment that they want to hear about whether it's recommendations or mental health uh, things or even just reviews on representations of mental health professionals on TV. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of requests for that. So I have to do a whole series about there's this show called Imprisoned or Unprisoned. People are like, is this really how therapists are? Are they all really this? Like she just has relationship issues. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I really mm-hmm. want you to, if you want to see me like take down the veil of like, I think sometimes people don't go to therapy because they think there's a hierarchy. We're humans too. So yep. I try to have the humanity aspect. Mm-hmm. However, if you want more longer form videos, it's it's YouTube. Um, YouTube. If you want to okay. see like my cute babies and me randomly cooking and me um, making cocktails when I know I shouldn't be or me struggling <laughs> to work out because, oh my goodness, why is this body this way? That's Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> okay, perfect. All those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And listeners, I am so grateful that you're here. Your time is so incredibly valuable. I'm grateful that you spend it with me and my guests. And remember, it is our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now, everybody. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes, andreaowen.com slash free. And you just sign up, you get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. 
So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.